This is Docera Digest Podcast, breaking down health concepts. This podcast is brought to you by Docera Life Center. This innovative clinic is finding new solutions to the evolving challenges mankind faces in the 21st century. By utilizing cutting edge technology and testing, they find root causes and also offer treatment with energy and nutrition. What is the mission? To dynamically change lives for the better while impacting families for generations. The information shared directly or indirectly in the Docera Digest podcast is not to be understood as or misconstrued as medical advice. This information is not a replacement for your current health provider who is acutely aware of your current health state and course of treatment. Any information shared about a product or service discussed by any host or guest on this podcast is not to be interpreted as a doctor-patient relationship. Welcome to Sarah Digest, where we break down complex health concepts and try to help you understand things that are a little bit more perplexing when it comes to healthcare. So today we're going to go into episode one on Lyme disease. This is a five-part series. So come back for the other four episodes after this. So today we're going to kick it off and I'm going to let Dr. Craig kind of start and kind of give us a little bit of a history and understanding of what is generally known about Lyme disease. Doc? Thanks, Doc. You're welcome. So Lyme disease is actually a very common condition. It affects about 3 million people or more a year in the United States. And we in our office think it's even more because we think many times it's undiagnosed or misdiagnosed. So Lyme disease actually is named for where it was first diagnosed and described in Lyme, Connecticut. Uh, what's interesting is actually in the early 1900s, there was an episode or an outbreak of the same condition in Europe, um, and it was associated with tick bites. So there was an outbreak that occurred in Lyme, Con Connecticut in 1975, and it was actually initially believed to be juvenile rheumatoid arthritis. Then in 1982, spirochetes were identified in the mid-gut of the black-legged tick and named Borrelia burgdorferi after the man who discovered it. In 1984, this Borrelia burgdorferi was also isolated from the blood of patients with erythema migraine, migraines, 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 yeah, um, which is the classical bullseye rash that's seen in Lyme disease, and it was also isolated from the, ra the rash itself. So um, if you want to know more or do a little bit more of a deep dive into this discovery of Lyme disease, you can read the book Bitten by Chris Newby. And what was the other book? Lab 247, Secrets of Plum Island. I'm sorry, go. Lab 247. Yeah. So as I mentioned, Lyme disease is typically thought to be a tick-borne illness, and there are really primarily three um, tick species that are associated with this disease. First is the black-legged or uh, deer tick, which transmits Lyme disease to humans and is typically found in the north-central or uh, northeastern United States. Then there's the lone star tick, which guess where that's found? Texas. All the way to Colorado. Uh, exactly, which is also known to transmit Lyme disease. And then there's Rocky Mountain uh, tick, which surprisingly is found in the Rocky Mountains. And this is known to transmit Lyme disease, but can also transmit Rocky Mountain spotted fever, which we'll, I think we touch on in a later episode. Episode two. So what's interestingly interesting, I find, is because um, these are where those ticks are fine, people tend to think, well, that's where the disease is isolated to. But we've got patients all over the United States and even around the world that are dealing with Lyme disease. So obviously, it's very much more widespread than just these isolated areas. 
Um, what's also interesting too is it's not just um, ticks that can spread the Lyme disease. Mites, chiggers, mosquitoes are also potential vectors of transmission. And what I even thought was an interesting concept is if an animal is bit by a tick and transmits the bacteria and you eat the animal, can you get Lyme from that that transmission? So Unconfirmed by the CDC at this point. Exactly. And they do know all. <laughs> so, um, but anyway, if the bacterium, if you do get exposed to bacterium and it remains untreated, it travels through the bloodstream, establishes itself in various tissues, and can cause several symptoms, which Dr. Luke's going to discuss here in just a minute. So here's what I want you to think about. As he's talking about the symptoms, ask yourself this. Am I experiencing any of what he's describing? Could Lyme disease be interfering with my health? So with that in mind, take it over, Dr. Luke. Thanks, Dr. Craig. Um, so yeah, right off the bat, you know, it's important to note that there's so much overlap when it comes to the signs and symptoms of Lyme with things like parasitic infections, mold illness and dysfunction. Um, but we're going to get to more on those later. So for now, we're going to, like Dr. Craig said, we're going to zero in on the signs and symptoms of Lyme and really how that affects uh, what we call your ADLs or your activity activities of daily living or, or really your quality of life. So, <clears throat> you know, Dr. Craig already hit on this, basic signs and symptoms of Lyme, the history is is most likely a tick bite, um, which can then form what he called the erythema migrans, which is your bullseye rash. Uh, that doesn't always happen though. Um, this occurs in about 70, 80% of the actual diagnosed cases. So that's, you know, the jury's still out on the undiagnosed crowd. Uh, Lyme disease or, or Lyme co-infections, uh, I hate to sound like a pharmaceutical commercial where we start rattling things off, but I do think it's important to still hit on kind of what we see, you know, in the office and in our patients who do happen to have Lyme or some form of a co-infection. So with that said, you know, <clears throat> Lyme can affect the nervous system. They can affect the musculoskeletal system, the digestive system, the cardiovascular system, really pretty much any system in the body. And we're going to get to the reason for that of how it can affect so many different systems. Um, and this can manifest in such a way as uh, these, these include fever or relap relapsing fever, uh, chills, headaches, uh, widespread body joint and pain, so like fibromyalgia type symptoms, uh, radicular neuropathy, which is like the shooting, numbness, and tingling that you get going from your arms to your hands or from your legs to your feet or in the opposite direction. Uh, this can cause uh, heart palpitations, visual disturbances, chronic fatigue, dizziness, short of breath, inflammation of the what we call the central and peripheral nervous system. So think your brain, your spinal cord, and pretty much every nerve that's not that. Uh, this can also cause facial palsy or, or paralysis uh, and also tingling throughout the face. So with a list like that, you can imagine that, again, the ADLs or your quality of life can become profoundly impacted. You know, it's heartbreaking. Oftentimes due to Lyme and co-infections, patients can't work. They have to file for disability. A lot of times they have issues walking. I've had patients that have issues just walking into my office. And they're so fatigued that they can't enjoy time with their loved ones or their friends. And this makes them feel like they're a burden. And also patients, the younger crowd, have had to reduce their schoolwork or drop out altogether so that they can have a chance at regrouping and getting back at school so they can kind of live today and fight tomorrow. And sometimes, at the very worst of the worst, patients feel like they are a breath away from death. And it's also super common 
that patients who do have these issues going on have exhausted all their options, whether that be the traditional medical route or a natural route, like a functional medicine route, this disease can ab absolutely rob people of their financial freedom and security because they've depleted all their resources trying to go after these things with little to nothing to show for it. <clears throat> and it, it's so gut-wrenching to see that because of how vicious this disease can be and just not only how it wrecks somebody's financial life, but even more than that, I think we can all attest to how this can impact relationships. Again, making them feel like they're a burden. And it's, it's, it's tough too because unless you've experienced some, something like that or work with people who are going through this, it's hard for other people who don't have that or experience it to believe what's going on in that person. And so not only does it make them feel like they're a burden, it can honestly make them feel like they're going crazy. And it's tough because there aren't many people out there who do the type of work that we do. And so this is definitely a, uh, I would say an underserved demographic of people. So this is why it is uh, paramount. If you feel like you're going through some of these things that we're talking about, that you do everything in your power to find someone who's Lyme literate or can work with you on these issues or get you pointed in the right direction. So with that said, uh, Dr. Caleb, I wanna turn it over to you now. All right. Thank you, Dr. Luke. So <clears throat> a lot of what he was talking about uh, tribute, especially to the acute infections of Lyme's, but we also know that a lot of people deal with Lyme chronically. And I think uh, one of the key things when we're looking at chronic Lyme has to deal with the toxic or the allostatic load that's placed on the body. So basically what that means is it's the burden on the body. It's also known as body burden. So when we look at these type of issues that create this type of body burden, one of the things I like to use is kind of an analogy um, I expressed when I was doing our uh, blog on toxicity. And just imagine that you're out in the middle of a lake on like a canoe or a small boat or something, and a hole is you know created in the boat, water starts to come in. So you have some limited options at that point, right? You have to either block the hole, keep stuff from coming in, or you have to be able to scoop out faster than it's coming in, at least long enough for you to get to shore, right? So when we're dealing with toxicity or the inflammatory effects that happen in the body, it's a lot like that. You know, we have a lot of stuff coming in and then a lot of times we have co-infections that arise uh, with Lyme disease, which we're going to talk more about in another episode. But when those come in, there's just like this flood that comes in and attacks your body and your body's trying to fight back against it. And it just sometimes is too much for it to handle. So over time, some of these systems, some of these processes on trying to clean this stuff out, uh, get broken down or worn down. And then that just makes it even easier for things to, or for the inflammatory processes and the progression of the disease to take over. And so a lot of times with Lyme or the chronic Lyme portion of it, uh, again, high levels of inflammation is a key part of that process. Another thing we see is that a lot of times it puts you in sympathetic dominance mode where you're always in that fight or flight mode, which means you can't really rest and recover. You can't relax. So we'll have a uh, patients or, you know, people that talk to us in the clinic, even they'll say, well, I get plenty of sleep. And we're like, okay, but how effective is that sleep? You might be getting plenty of hours of sleep, but is your body actually recovering during that process? Is it actually healing? Is it actually going through and, 
restoring you. So, and a good way to tell is if you wake up, do you feel refreshed and ready to go? Or do you feel like you're still in the tank? And we see a lot of times you're still in the tank. You're barely crawling out of bed, getting going. And, you know, you have to struggle for every step until you get that coffee or that energy drink or whatever in. And then you're finally, okay, I'm awake enough to go. So that's a big thing we see. And then as this continues to burden your body, as it continues to go into different tissues, different systems, like we talked about, you know, it'll go and find all these different systems or these different types of tissues to hide in. And a lot of times um, we'll see a lot of neurological effects like uh, Dr. Luke was talking about. So when it gets into the nervous system, it can create those uh, symptoms of the Bell's palsy or the facial uh, palsy or paralysis. We can also see a lot of radiating symptoms, radicular neuropathy, where you have pain shooting down into the arms or in the legs. And um, if it gets into the spinal cord, they can even cause meningitis, which is very serious and, and dangerous. So we can see a lot of different things that can go through this. Even epileptic seizures can result as um, a side effect of the nervous tissue getting uh, inhibited or affected by this. Another thing is even neurotransmitter depletion. So your body's always sending signals trying to get the troops going, get everything fighting through the immune system going. And then over time, you just you don't have enough. And that'll also affect mood because a lot of the neurotransmitters that we have will affect your mood and like serotonin, dopamine, all those things. And so we see a lot of times there'll be depression with chronic Lyme's and there'll be um uh, mental illnesses like bipolar disease, you get into increased aggression, impulsiveness, extreme anxiety. And, you know, when life is like that, it's it's not fun to live. You know, and that goes back to a lot of the ADLs, the activities of daily living that Dr. Luke was talking about. These uh, systems get uh, impacted and it creates a dynamic dysfunction or a deficiency in your life to be able to live. So another thing I want to touch on is, you know, Lyme actually be used to be known as Lyme arthralgia, so it affects joints as well. It'll go in, cause inflammatory, degenerative, or uh, destructive effects on a lot of the joints of the body as well. So as we can see, there there's a lot that goes on with this, and especially if it progresses to that chronic phase, you're in for a pretty rough fight. And if you don't have the resources, you don't have the people, again, that are Lyme literate, people that know how to fight the battle, uh, you wouldn't want to go into a, you know, a war following the private instead of the second star general, right? So you want to go with a guy that has experience. So that can make a big difference as well. But there's also a lot of variability to how people respond to Lyme. You know, a lot of people will have the same infection, same tissues involved, but they won't react the same as somebody else. And I'm going to turn it over to Dr. Ben to go into some of why that is. Awesome, Dr. Caleb. Thanks. First of all, and to Dr. Luke and Dr. Craig, wow, who of you out there don't know somebody who hasn't experienced some of these things, right? And so one of the things I find kind of not funny, even though I use that term, but very irritating to me is who gets it and why do they get it, right? Well, for me, as I try to study this over all these years, because, I mean, I've actually been around a lot of people that have had it, my nephews, <laughs> I've been, a lot of patients, a lot of clients have had it. But here in the Midwest to the Northeast, you probably can't go anywhere without somebody not knowing someone who has had Lyme. Yet, it is one of the most undiagnosed or misdiagnosed 
condition that we're seeing here since the late 80s and, and early 90s for sure. In fact, even some of the guidelines haven't changed since the 90s or even the early 2000s. And here we are in 2023. And what I find interesting is all the research that has been done, what are most researchers trying to do? They're trying to find a drug to try to fix a bacterial infection. So what I started looking at is, is a couple of different factors. Why do some people get Lyme's and have all of the symptoms or a lot of the symptoms or the major or severe symptoms? And why do some people get Lyme's and have none of the symptoms, right? Or have very few of the symptoms. And so when I started looking at that and diving into it, the thing that was intriguing to me is, first of all, on about 25% of those who have been diagnosed with Lyme's even recall ever being bitten by a tick. Right now, of what we think is, Dr. Craig talked about the over three million plus people that are diagnosed with Lyme's. We guesstimate, and when I say we, I mean the Lyme's community guesstimate that that's probably less than sixty percent, maybe fifty, fifty-five percent of the people that are even having any symptomatology have that. Well, then you got to stop and go, why? Why do we get the variants in all these different types of things that happen within this condition? Let alone the people who get it. And so then we have different terminology, like we have acute Lyme's. And so what is acute Lyme's? Acute Lyme's is you see the erythemia migraines rash. You see it, you know it. You saw the tick, you pulled the tick off, right? Then there are people who didn't have that tick or don't recall the tick or never saw the tick or never felt the tick. Then that leads us to another thing. How long was the tick on there, right? And if you really look at the tick itself, what it's doing, we have to understand a couple of different things. So I'm going to touch on this really quick. There are four different stages of a tick's life. And we've talked about the different animals that it bites and then it gets transferred to and it, it goes through a morphology and then it goes to another phase, bites another one. So what I, I did is I stopped and looked at it. I said, well, wait a second. Where is the protective me measure or mechanism in these animals to resist ticks? Because in theory, we humans have it as well. So it, when I started looking at how the tick actually gets the Borrelia or the Burgophanes, all these different types of different bacteria, as it transmits through different animals, now we're finding the animal's weakness that that gets into the tick, and the tick mixes it with its blood and its bacteria, and then it comes and attacks us when it bites into us. So our first line of defense is a, what we call a barrier system, right? There are four barriers on the body. One is the skin, the outside skin. Then we have the barrier in the lungs or the pulmonary tract. Then we have the barrier in the digestive tract. And then we have the blood-brain barrier. And as Dr. Craig was talking about earlier, once you get bit by a tick and it has to stay on you a minimum of 12 to 24 hours to get the most severe components of the blood and the bacteria mixture, because as the tick brings the blood in, it goes all the way to the back of the tick. Remember, the head's buried in your, in your skin. It goes all the way to the back. It mixes and regurgitates it right back into you. Right? So if you have a tick on you in minutes, in theory, you're not going to come up with all these symptomatologies. But if that tick has been buried in there for over 12 hours, you are going to be one of the ones that get toward the other end of the spectrum, the more severe issues. So then when we look at that aspect of the tick, and then we look at that person or that body's resistance or ability to fight things off, that becomes very critical. Right? So let's say a tick bites someone who already has some other type of disease. Where are they? Well, Dr. Caleb referred to this in what we call the soldiers or the armies. I, I refer to this as what I call the mitochondria, which produces all the energy our body needs, 
there are three types of energy production. There's the now energy that we're all experiencing right now. There's the energy that Dr. Caleb referred to as what we call the repair energy, which has to operate while we're asleep. It's what regenerates us and rejuvenates us and rebuilds us. That's why people who don't sleep are cranky, all right? They have problems because they're not repairing, they're not regenerating. Hey. Then the third category of energy I talk about is what we call supply energy. And supply energy feeds both what I refer to as the firemen, those who are fighting some inflammatory reaction within our body, and the feelers know this, but whether you stub your toe or have a bad thought, that's an inflammatory reaction. The other source of supply that we need is we need to supply fuel to our soldiers. Our soldiers are fighting for us. And we'll talk about the IGA and the IGM and the IGGs and all these later, right? But if we can't fuel our soldiers, what happens? They run out of energy and they can no longer fight for us. So a person who gets bit by a tick and they get these bacteria inside their system and they're already demuted or diminished or have a reduced ability to fight things, they're the ones who have bigger problems, right? In, in the long-term aspect. When we talk about how this spreads throughout the body, Dr. Craig brought this up. When these things start going through the blood, here's the things we understand. Of all the blood in the body that beats over 100,000 times a day from your heart, it goes to three major areas. It's going to go to the brain, the liver, and the kidneys. And later we'll go into more detail why those are specific and how we help fight that and eradicate that. But we start seeing all these problems that Dr. Kaylee brought up and all the different neurological things and, and all the different symptoms Dr. Luke brought up that go from the brain to the heart to the lungs to the kidneys to the liver and everywhere else. So when we really start diving in and trying to understand why do some people get more severe issues, we then look at that resistance of the body. And then the next phase we're going to talk about is we're going to talk about how within our own DNA, we have identification uh, processes that can identify that foreign invader and have the ability to fight that foreign invader off. And that's where we, it'll get really complicated, but it's really cool to understand that if you're missing some pieces, can we fill in those gaps? Can we help your body? Can we rebuild that immune system, right? And everybody's a little different. We have no cookie cutter program at our center. Every person, whether they're a young person to an older person like me, a geriatric patient, right? We take care of all of those and we identify their very specific uniqueness. And sometimes we talk about this, you've got to get ready to go to war before you go to war. While at the same time, you're already in war, right? So sometimes we have to build up the systems around you to get you ready so that when we initiate the battle and we're going to win, you have the wherewithal, the power, the tools, everything within your body to attack this and get it under control. The last thing I want to mention before I turn over to Dr. Kaisen is simply this. We have a lot of people that have been exposed to the Borrelia, the Burgophanes, that have never had a tick or Lyme uh, disease diagnosis. Why do we get that? Dr. Craig brought it up earlier. We eat different food that has been tainted with that bacteria. And somehow that gets into our system. And when we go through the digestive tract, if our immune system or endocabinoid system or our, our anterior nervous system is not intact, we get exposed to the same type of Borrelia or Bergophanes or these different bacteria, and we get very similar results, even though we never had a rash. And we never got got bit by a tick. So that's kind of the unfortunate but exciting thing is as we dive into this, that we get to find all these things and help that unique body fight that unique case. So with that, I'm going to turn it back over to Dr. Kaysen. Thank you, Dr. Ben. 
So as I was sitting here listening to all these different things, it takes me back to so much of what I struggled with even and just different memories that were coming back to me just hearing these guys talk about some of the stuff. And, and I've forgotten. It's been a while. You know, I've been doing pretty good. So it's uh, it's always interesting to go back and look at your personal story and how far you've come. And sometimes you forget the struggles and that you deal with. And I see it in my patients all the time just to be able to build a process to get through the day and just, you know, thriving like he was talking about is something that's just hard for them to to thrive. They're just surviving right now. And we need to get them past that point and get them better. My personal story is I we think I got bit by a tick when I was in Iowa as a kid. I was always kind of an outdoor kid, uh, playing in the creek, fishing, hunting, whatever it was, and you know, just collecting all kinds of wild animals and stuff. So it's hard to say where exactly I got it. Um, it's not really well known in Kansas. So I do have other family members in Iowa who have gotten it. And so I think that's where I picked up as a kid when we were visiting the farm up there. And so it was just, I still remember there's one day it felt like everything closed down on me where my vision became very tunneled and it was such a significant point. And I just, I was probably about third grade. I sit in the room and also I felt like I was losing my ability to focus and concentrate. And that came back to me much later on that memory. And it still sits with me because at that point in time, it felt like everything was going sideways. I was old enough to really recognize that. And I felt like everything was going sideways on me. And then I started struggling in school, having a hard time focusing, paying attention, um, kind of a problem child in school for a little while there, you know, they want to put me in special education and, you know, and all kinds of things there. So I've come a long ways, <laughs> but you know, it's, it's just learning how to adapt, you know, here's the struggles that I have on a daily basis. How do I get through today? How do I do this? And so you have to start thinking differently. You have to start acting differently. You have to start doing different things to be able to survive. And sometimes that requires you or not requires you, but it leads us to go down other pathways to deal with pain and, and other things that we deal with and probably not the best way. And that's why you see a lot of people get depression. They start seeking out alcohol or drugs or something else to try to numb the pain that they're dealing with. And so they're looking for answers and they're getting a small relief, but they're fooling themselves to think it's going to actually get them where they want to go. And I don't care if that's going in and trying to take a whole bunch of pharmaceuticals to try to balance things out. In the end, it's a, it's a short-lived run because it's not going to get you where you want to go and get you the relief. You're just throwing Band-Aids upon Band-Aids and you're still bleeding out. We still have to fix that. So we still need to go back in and figure out what these underlying causes are to be able to address those. And so we're not bandaging people all the time. We need to heal the body. We need to allow it to be able to function at the high level it needs to. And so my personal story, and I'll go into a little bit more as we kind of go into kind of the outcomes and everything um, of where we are, but I've gone through a journey. And part of that is me treating myself as a patient, figuring out what works, what doesn't. And I've been down a long road and I've been a long road, but I've been able to shorten that path for everyone else who follows me to be able to say, here's what works. Here's how we over, we overcome these things. Here's how we adapt to it. Here's how we come back and we deal with this particular aspect that you're dealing with or some that somebody else is dealing with. And sometimes I wonder if God took me through all this stuff just to be able to learn to help other people. And sometimes I truly believe he doesn't waste the suffering. He uses it for we can help other people. So we've all suffered through different aspects. We've all had different challenges in life. And, and and one of the aspects that always spoke to me was when people talk about your load or a burden, we all have our daily load. We have to get in the morning. We have to put the load on. We have to go take care of the bills. We have to do all these things. A burden is when you can't lift it yourself and you need somebody else to help you. And, and while 
A lot of you out there maybe having a heavier load than others. Some of you have a burden that you just can't lift, and that's where you need help. And that's where we want to come in and help you with your burden, help you to offset that burden so you're able to handle your daily load as far as what you have to carry on to be a productive member of society and a good family member and a friend and everything else that we want in life. So, Dr. Frank, let me ask you a question. Because what we want to do here is we're trying to offer some hope, right? At what point in your experience did that hope wake up for you? Uh, It was probably about four or five years ago, and it was when I started uh, uh, doing some different treatment options, different things, which, again, I didn't realize Lyme was even my problem, which is it didn't show up in laboratory testing. And so I had a friend of mine say, you know, you might want to check out, treat yourself for Lyme. I go, well, I I don't have a laboratory testing. She just kind of laughed at me. She goes, well, here, why don't you try this? And so I went through, and and it was kind of the the opposite of what I talked about when the, the tunnel vision was. It was like, all of a sudden, my mind woke up and I had a full vision again. It was focused. And it was like, wait, this is what everybody else gets to deal with every day? Yeah. Th- this is what normal is? I mean, it was like it blew me away going, wow, there's so much more potential here. And I didn't even know life could be as good as it was again. Yeah, life came back. And, and yeah. so we get we witnessed, some of us actually witnessed this transformation that occurred in him. And I, I guess that's, that's what I find interesting in your story is you've struggled this. And even though you're not diagnosed in the term of true limes, and oh, by the way, up to 70-some percent of people who are tested show a negative reaction to limes, and we'll talk about it on the Western blot, and we'll talk about the ELISA test and all that. So it doesn't mean that you have to be diagnosed to actually have it, as we've talked about. But for you, it, it, it changed you. It changed your outlook in life. It changed your family life. It gave you a hope for a future at your young age. Yeah, right? my young age. That, that you still have a lot to do instead of going downhill, if I'm understanding you correctly. Absolutely. All of a sudden, you're moving uphill again. Oh, way uphill. And, and what hope can we give to the people watching this that that's going to ex- give them um, something to hang on to and strive to reach? So one of the concepts is I kind of touched on earlier was every day you wake up and you look at what you have to accomplish and every molehill looks like a mountain going, it's not that big of an issue, but for me, it's a mountain I got to climb every day. And, and I guess the, the, the flip dynamic of that is now I look at the mountains, I get to climb that aren't molehills. I'm like, wow, I get to climb that. And I'm excited about that, about what we get to do. And so part of that is getting your life back, your energy and getting your ability to go through and say, okay, I'm ready to go conquer something today. I'm ready to go conquer and change lives and help people because I want other people to feel what I'm feeling. And that's what we want for those watching. And that's what's awesome. So back to you. Thank you, Dr. Frank. Absolutely. So stay tuned and come back for episode two, where we're going to talk about co-infections and all that that foretells as far as your health. Thank you for listening to the Docera Digest podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to subscribe and leave us a review. You can also find all the episodes and show notes over at doceralifecenter.com. While you're on the website, also be sure to check out the blog where you'll find videos and articles to help you proactively rebalance your health.